Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. With ad blockers, premium streaming services and set-top recorders, it's never been easier to avoid the adverts in the films and shows we enjoy. So product placement, getting that thing you're trying to sell on screen or even better into the hands of one of the characters, is getting more important. Here, the food chain from the BBC's World Service looks into the past, present and future of product placement as a way of advertising what we eat and drink. Food is a powerful narrative device. What we eat sends signals about our values, how much money we have, our social class, even our mood. And this makes it ideal for product placement. Food brands can easily be placed on a set or woven into the story of a film or TV show. So you'd be hard-pressed to find a blockbuster without them. But in this episode of The Food Chain, and other shows are available... I'm going to find out that when food business gets into bed with show business, things can get a little complicated. I'm going to meet industry insiders from Hollywood in the US, Bollywood in India and Nollywood in Nigeria, who'll tell me whether filmmakers are putting money before art and how much is changing hands. Including financing put into the film plus Advertising, you could be looking at a tenth of the budget of the film. Plus, when a cool character cracks open a can of a well-known brand on screen, whether you barely notice or roll your eyes, I'll hear why their choice may well be influencing yours. And do baddies ever get to eat branded food? Most brands would always rather be with the good guy than the bad guy. The history of product placement in film is almost as old as the history of film itself. You can see the deliberate positioning of brands on screen in the short motion pictures of the late 19th century, in the silent movies of early Hollywood cinema, and then later in the not-so-silent ones. I always carry two of everything. This is the first time I've ever been out with only one woman. Oh, you mean you take two girls out every time? This is the American film Horse Feathers, made in 1932. Oh, so that's your game. That's your game, is it? You can hear Thelma Todd falling into a river, and when she asks for help... Oh, throw me the lifesaver! The camera zooms in on Groucho Marx as he slowly unwraps a packet of lifesaver's mints before throwing her one. It's been almost 90 years since Thelma fell out of that boat, but product placement isn't necessarily any more subtle today, depending on where you are in the world. Let's start in Hollywood. I think it's really hard to find Hollywood feature films that don't have food product placement in them somewhere. 
This is Cynthia Miller, a cultural anthropologist who specializes in film and television studies at Emerson College in Boston in the US. She says we all subconsciously make a lot of judgments about people's social status based on the food they eat, which means food brands are perfect for both telling a story and product placement. When we see food in a film and it looks sexy or it looks exciting or affluent, it's very attractive on a subconscious level. We don't necessarily say, oh, wow, I've got to go out and get me some chocolate-covered strawberries. But there's that subconscious message that says, yeah, people who have lives that I would aspire to or that I hold in high regard, that's what they eat. It becomes part of that overall picture of class aspirations, kind of, wow, I want to be that sort of person. If you look back at a lot of 1960s family television programming, you see a lot of product placement of particular brands of bread or cereals, and they're all really associated with a particular kind of lifestyle, values, as well as sort of in the bigger picture, national identity. You know, this here is the good middle-class American family that has these kinds of products. Is this something that the food companies are deliberately trying to manipulate? Does art imitate life, or is it the other way around? I think it's a little bit of both. When we look at kitchens in film, a middle-class family's kitchen is going to be full of what we'd think of as middle-class food. There's the peanut butter and the leftover pizza in the fridge or donuts on the table, things like that. But there's also going to be typically one or two things that look a little bit more class elevated because everybody kind of kind of attempts to move up a little from their own socioeconomic circumstances. Now, when I notice very deliberately positioned food brands in a film, I find it hard to maintain any suspension of disbelief. But Cynthia thinks product placement adds to authenticity. She says for those of us living in consumer cultures, brands are so much part of our lives that seeing them on screen makes us connect more deeply with the characters. And even if audiences are increasingly aware of product placement, it's still effective. Being self-aware makes us feel very smart. And whenever we feel smart, advertising tends to work. We see product placement, we go, ah, I know what you're doing there. And we get very self-congratulatory, pat ourselves on the back, and we've cemented that product in our minds. And... The next time we're in the stores, we are buying that. In fact, I think our contemporary media awareness has actually made it easier to be more obvious because it's like this inside joke that everybody knows. It's, yep, we're putting this right under your nose again. Here it is. What do you do if you don't like the sound of all this? You don't want to be sucked in by it. You've just said if we are really smart about it, all we end up doing is reinforcing that brand even more in our brains. So is there anything we can do if we don't want product placement to work on us? Wow, that's a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I hate to be fatalistic about it, but 
I think our awareness of media strategies helps a lot. But at the end of the day, we are still consuming the media and it's going to have such a powerful influence that it's really, really hard to avoid. Do you think that we need more regulation in this area? It obviously varies a lot from country to country already. I'm not sure that regulation is a good thing. It's a very slippery slope of who gets to make those decisions. And there's there's a point of, okay, we want to protect our youth, but those decisions are only the beginning of being able to regulate further down the line and make decisions about what people can be exposed to and what's good for them and what isn't. I'm not so sure that's a good idea. Do you have any worries about product placement, though, particularly when it comes to junk food and the fact that a lot of the products that we see in our films are high in sugar and salt and fat? I think it can be problematic. And I was just thinking about this the other night, actually watching one of the many police procedurals on television and noticing that all of the female characters are model thin and one of them picked up a bag of of chips and dumped it in her mouth and i thought you know skinny girl you do not eat those (laughs) (laughs) product placement doesn't always add authenticity then but cynthia told me research shows that even when people are aware of it and annoyed by it This doesn't mean they'll avoid a brand associated with it. And this knowledge means food companies feel free to saturate our films and TV shows with their products. Let's take a look at how they actually do that. Stacey Jones has negotiated deals on many Hollywood blockbusters from Rampage to The Terminal to Miss Congeniality. She's CEO of Hollywood Branded in Los Angeles, an agency which acts as the middleman between food companies and all the people involved in making the film, producers, directors and screenwriters, but also... The set decorator and the prop master are two of those very key people who are constantly soliciting brand partners because they have a certain budget that they need to keep within. Say there's a grocery store scene and you have a set decorator who has to recreate an entire grocery filled with food products. And not only is that a challenge for costs, now it's also a challenge for clearances because they need to actually have approval in many cases for the brand to be incorporated. Okay, there's a huge amount to this. How much money is involved? Oh, it can truly vary. It can go from nothing and free, and it's just you're in the right place and you have a great reputation and you're able to leverage that awareness. It could be that the script calls for something very specific and key and the producers are less interested in trying to secure dollars and really are just looking at the creativity and what makes sense to the storyline. Netflix is also very notorious for not wanting to do dollar deals because it's a subscription basis. They're not reliant on advertisers and commercials and it's more about artistic integrity. Stacy insists that in her experience, even when films are reliant on advertising, art always trumps money. And whilst she's negotiated deals for up to half a million dollars, she's also seen producers turning away companies offering hundreds of thousands because they didn't feel the brand was right for the story. Most consumers think that anything that they see in a movie or TV show is paid for. 
And I would dare say that 90% of the items that they see of any sort of brand category are not paid for. And that's always a surprise to people. Not least because you can end up getting considerable bang for your buck. If your brand is embedded in the content, it's going to go global if the film does. It could be seen on aeroplanes and on television and on streaming services. And if the film becomes a cult hit, yours could become a cult brand. So with E.T., it's one of the most famous stories of product placement of all times. Steven Spielberg's E.T. originally went out to M&M's and they asked if they were interested in being in E.T.'s hands. Now, no one knew at the time really who Steven Spielberg was. So Universal Studios approached Hershey's instead and asked if they could use a similar-looking piece of confectionery called Reese's Pieces to tempt the shy little alien out of hiding. No money exchanged hands, just peanut butter candy. But Hershey's did agree to feature E.T. in its promotions. Shortly after the film's release, sales of Reese's Pieces doubled. Emily Thomas on the food chain from BBC World Service. And that's from part of an episode called Is Product Placement Getting in Your Face? Thanks for listening to the podcast hour from RNZ. If you're finding it helpful to find new stuff to listen to, then please do consider rating or reviewing us with as many stars as you can manage wherever you get your podcasts from and tell your friends and family about us too. And if you're writing a review, then do let us know what you like about the show or how it could be improved. So if you'd like to hear longer clips, more interviews with the people making the shows that we feature, and if four shows is about the right number to highlight each week, that kind of stuff, it would be really helpful to know. Thanks a lot. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.